Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with tremendous leaders of all ages and stages of life about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. And today I have not one, but I have two tremendous guests. Bob Nelson, Dr. Bob is the president of Nelson Motivation Incorporated, and it's the world's leading authority on employee recognition and engagement. He's worked with 80% of Fortune 500 companies and is a senior fellow for the conference board, a top thought leader for the Best Practices Institute, and was named a top five management guru by Global Gurus. Fondly known as Dr. Bob, he has authored over 30 books on employee motivation and engagement, which have collectively sold over 5 million copies and been translated into 30 languages. And then our tremendous other guest is Mario Tamayo. And Mario is the principal of Tamayo Group Incorporated, a no-nonsense, I love that, consulting firm specializing in leadership and organizational performance. He has more than 30 years of experience maximizing human performance, working with organizations such as Petco, General Dynamics, and the U.S. Men's Olympic Volleyball Team. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being my guest on the Leaders on Leadership podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. You want to tell him about the connection you have to Tremendous? We've met your father. He's, I know I hugged him. Did you, Mario? Well, he hugs everybody. So we hugged him. This is about 25 years ago, I think we met him. and Or maybe it was 30 years ago, but it, it was quite a while ago. But tremendous presence, tremendous presence, <laughs> tall man, humble man, but at the same time, very invigorating and very inspiring. So that's what funny, I remember. Funny, insightful. Yeah. It was great. I love it. Well, when I got connected with these guys, I realized that we go way back. So 30 years, you guys were just probably getting started out. Yeah. And you, I think you were two years old at the time. Yeah. Oh, bless your heart. Yes. <laughs> I love you guys. Number one guest. I'm going to rate you five stars myself just for that own comment. <laughs> All right. Well, let's unpack this, gentlemen. You guys both have decades and decades and decades of leadership expertise. And my father, as you mentioned, was exuberant, but he was also really pragmatic. And the top speech that he gave was titled The Price of Leadership which was kind of sobering because it talks about leadership is what we're meant to be, but there's a price you're going to have to pay. And it isn't perks and Cadillacs and summer homes and big corner office desks. So he unpacks this. And the first price he talks about is that to be a leader, you're going to experience loneliness. And we've heard that it's lonely at the top. 
So can you both unpack for our listeners out there what loneliness looks like in the leadership role and maybe a time where you've been in a season and what you do to pull yourself out of that? I've managed people for over 30 years and I find that where it strikes me is when you've got a question or something you want to discuss and you can't think of who to do it with. It bounces around who I would connect with at that point. By default, it probably ends up more times than not to be my spouse. And she has good advice and intuitive advice, but a lot of times I'm looking for something more, maybe richer, or it's not that simple. I think through my mental Rolodex and who I call. And like I said, it varies with the topic and it varies the timing. Uh, That could be someone in New York. It could be a good friend from high school. It could be someone that's a current client colleague. There's moments there where you go, oh boy, I wish I could talk this through with somebody. How about you, Mario? I remember back in the early 1980s, I was a director at General Dynamics here in San Diego and very young guy very young, very young looking. I remember that I would be in positions sometimes where because I was a a director and I was supposed to be a young and up and coming person, leader, that I should know everything that my role demanded. That wasn't the case. And I found out that I was stuck. I was stuck between being honest with myself and saying, you know, I don't really know this particular area or I'm not very competent in this one area here. But I felt like I could not talk to anybody because I should have known. I got the job, so I I should know that I should be competent and committed to doing whatever that particular task was. Did you talk to your boss about that? I didn't at first because I was embarrassed by it. Yeah. And you wanted to confirm that he made the right decision hiring you. Exactly. And the thing was, is I only saw my boss about once every two weeks. That made it even harder because I didn't want to come with him with bad news. And so I felt like I had to buck it up and find a way. And what I found out was I couldn't hide. And I had to be honest and say, you know, I just don't know this. And like you said, Bob, first one I went to was my wife. She was the youngest female manager in General Dynamics Corporation at the time and better person to talk with because she was promoted before I was. We struggled together early on to make it work. But that's what we did. Number one, I guess the bottom line is I had to be honest with myself and I had to be vulnerable. Well, you guys both brought up a great thing because my husband, who is often my sounding board, he's like, Tracy, who pours into you? And I, like you, Mario, when I was younger, well, I know this, they promoted me. I'm an officer. I work for Northrop, you know, but then you got to realize somebody told me a leader doesn't have to know everything, but they have to know everybody, which Dr. Bob goes to your point. You have to know who to go to. And I think about the worst mistakes in my life where I stayed in the wilderness much longer is because I just didn't find the right sounding board to share, hey, should I do this or is it okay to feel this way? And I really love the fact that you guys said that. But Mario, like you said, you can have the greatest advisement in the world and people that'll pull you out of that. But if you're not honest with yourself, if you're wise in your own eyes, you can't be open to receive that. So I really appreciate you pulling that and owning your loneliness is okay. We're finding more and more of that today. There's so many people out there today who are lonely, especially top athletes and actors and people out in the public domain. And we're starting to learn that it's okay to be human and to show the other side, what's what's behind the curtain. 
And not to mention an 18 month pandemic that has isolated, <laughs> isolated everybody. Exactly. <laughs> well, that has taken this to a whole new level. And again, I can go introvert, extrovert either way, but just even me, I know I can feel the strain on me. Like, oh, I'm missing this collective piece that we're coded for. And so it's just to be conscious of it and say, Hey, I need somebody to pour into me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. You guys. Well, kind of along that line of thought with loneliness is weariness. When you're running that race and when you're uh, heavy as the head that wears the crown, you have a lot of responsibilities on you for that. What would you guys recommend? And Mario, I'll start with you and then go to Dr. Bob. As mm-hmm. far as staying at your top peak performance, how do you combat weariness? Well, again, when I was at General Dynamics, I was running their wellness program. That was back in the days when wellness was a, it was a pretty new pioneering effort in most corporations. And we were a top 10 program in, in the country at the time we were recognized as a top 10 program. Because it was health, wellness, I felt I had to be going at 100 miles an hour. I had to show people that back then there was something called the superwoman syndrome, where women had to prove themselves. Well, when you're in wellness, you had to be almost perfect. You know, you Charles had to Atlas, be. Charles Atlas, Jack Exactly, Lane. exactly. Yeah. Not just physically. But spiritually, emotionally, cognitively, and all that. And so obviously, exercising, although it's, there's no such thing as a panacea, it's the best thing that we have naturally to help us stay up. So that was one of the things was running regularly, eating properly, getting good sleep, the basic stuff, and having a good perspective about things, having positive self-talk. I practiced a lot of those things, and even then, I would struggle at times and I would get to the point where I feel like I was a phony because I'm still weary. I'm going hundred miles an hour, but I'm still weary trying to do everything and I'm not quite able to make it happen. Again, I learned early on that I've got to back out and I've got to get that balance, somehow get that balance. Yeah. Getting outside, having a break, being in nature is a huge retooling. I found that times in my career when I'm weary, I would never try to allow myself to be down about that. I would mm. try to suck it up. And uh, because it's usually because I was hitting it so hard, I was traveling a lot. I was sleeping not, not enough. And there was always, always more to do. I never threw up my hands. I never really even thought about the changing gears because I was doing the things I wanted to be doing. So maybe a different approach. I think a more balanced approach would be the things you said and to say, you know, it's, you're worthless if you don't get enough sleep. And I would, as you know, Mario, I would, I would work through the night at least once a week for decades. Well, <laughs> Sometimes I, twice, to, tw- yeah. two nights a week. Well, how about five times a week? When I first met Bob Tracy, <laughs> we met at Disney World in Florida <laughs> and Ken Blanchard invited us both down there. It was in uh, early November of 1988. I'll never forget it. And Bob and I met at the airport and we found out that we were going to be rooming together for five days. I had never met Bob before and, and vice versa. And man, was I shocked when Bob, it was three in the morning, four in the morning, he was still working. And I'm, you know, I'm there in my bed. I've got the pillow over my head. He goes, Would you turn the light off? You know, <laughs> but he kept working and he didn't do it one day. He didn't do it two. He did it five straight days. And I found out later, uh, he guy's a machine. The guy is a machine. And he, and he was absolutely right about bucking up and sucking it up or not sucking up, but bucking up because 
he would just tell himself, you know, he knew the power of self-talk and he was able to just keep going. And he didn't do it just for then. I've known Bob for what it was now 34 years, Bob. 30, and yeah. I would say probably 33 and a half of those years, he's getting along with hardly any sleep. I love it. Well, what time do you get up, Bob? I wouldn't recommend this as a lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> well, Did you know that Bob? Bob's 18 years old, doesn't he? Yeah, right? I love it. 180. He's like, okay, so but do you get up order, really early? A lot of our leaders are like, I'm up at four and an hour of meditation, an hour working out, an no, hour. I'm, I'm more of a night owl. Okay. And, so and I, the, I find yeah. that you cannot work through the night unless you're highly, highly motivated. So driven to finish something. And that's, so that would be the, it wasn't just like, ah, maybe I'll work to all through the night tonight. It's like I was into something and, you know, I've done 31 books. So there's a lot of projects just there. Those are all on top of the work I was doing. <laughs> Tracy, Tracy, there was a time when we were working together where Bob was working full time as the VP of product development at the Blanchard companies. And at the same time, he was a full-time student at the Claremont schools uh, studying under Peter Drucker. He was driving after work up to you know, taking his night classes up, you know, up there. Only an hour and a half drive. <laughs> well, that's one like way, me with Moses way. and Aaron. How can you not do one or the other? I mean, come on. Come on, Mario. Going to study under Peter Drecker and then. They, and they should have left Moses in the river. <laughs> well, you know, my dad no was heresy. a night owl. People would call him at two in the morning and he'd pick up the phone. I get that too. You know, my husband and I are up to like two. I mean, doing stuff, I'm working. I'll get, if I'm up at eight, if I get six hours, I'm good. But I mean, it's whatever works, whatever works for you. But I love that you talked about with weariness. You're going to get weary, but that's an emotion. And up here, you just got to tell yourself, it all starts here in the thought. No. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go on. I mean, and my dad would say, "Ah, I feel like quitting all the time. And then I say, but you're not going to get Mm -hmm. back in there, pick that towel up, wipe that sweat off and off you go. That's huge. What you just said. Early on, I learned about cognitive behavior therapy, and it was all about the messaging and catching myself in the moment. Cancel yes. that thought. Yes. Replace it with something really positive. I love it. That so we that, can cancel. Uh, That's a cancel culture. Yeah, we can it all is. Get- it's stop. And, oh, exactly. I just found out. I just learned what cancel culture means. Oh, you didn't know it. Well, yeah, I've heard all this stuff, and I'm not a big social media person oh, at all, okay. but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm an old guy. But I just found out what it meant. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm rereading Psycho-Cybernetics. And, <laughs> whoa, wow, that whoa. takes you. I haven't heard that title in 30 years. Well, pick it up again. I'm telling you what, and of course, it's heresy today because God forbid you capture what's going on in your mind and create your own self-image. But I mean, it is so powerful about, nope, nope, nip it out. Because yeah. people think, well, I feel this way. No, it thoughts, as a man thinketh emotions, then behaviors. And that's Mm -hmm. why, you know, Napoleon Hill does the definite and a purpose. Yes, we want to do self-care. And I like you, Mario, take care of your body. When you take Mm -hmm. care of your body, we're still this mortal coil, but you got this beautiful thing up here that you can say, "Mm, no, no, we're going to make it. And the key thing, especially today is you got to keep, take care of your spirit and your heart. And with what's going on with, like you said, cancel culture, and we've got these polar opposites going on in our community and we got racial inequity in this. It, we got to stand up and hold hands together. Remember the old story about hold hands before you cross the street? Yes. The little yes. kids. I forgot the name of that book. Bob, yeah. you remember that book? <laughs> but, uh, Robert Fulgram. Oh, 
that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. I love it. But we need to do that today and realize that we're all in this together and we're only as good as we are together. It's mm-hmm. not about just one person or the other person. It's and Bob, I think he wrote a book about that, wasn't that some African thing? Oh, Ubuntu, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tell Tracy what that's about. Yeah. Well, it's a South African principle of unity and connectedness. And it's uh, very powerful. That is pretty much foreign to our culture, mm-hmm. but it's we're in it together. And just as an example of it, they did a study with uh, psychologists did a study and sociologists that he told a bunch of African kids, there's some, there's candy behind, behind that tree up there. Whoever, whoever gets there first can have it. And he thought that they would do a foot race and, you know, the biggest person would win. And instead they all joined hands and they ran together. And afterwards he interviews them. Why did you do that? You could have had all the kids. Said, I wouldn't have enjoyed it if I, if I couldn't share it with my friends. And so it was, it was uh, just a different outlook on life. It is. Well, what do they say? All boats rise together. People think, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to be at the top of the lagoon and everybody else is going to be in the Bermuda Triangle. And it's like, that's not how, that's not how life works. Yeah. You may think that, but you're going to get sucked down there too one of these times. Well, okay. All right. Well, let's get back on point. Okay. So loneliness, weariness. Thanks, you guys. Okay. The next thing he talked about was abandonment. Abandonment typically gets a negative connotation, fear of abandonment. I'm in pet rescue. Abandonment definitely is a bad thing. But my dad talked about abandonment. He used to tell me, Tracy... I waste more time in a day, in other words, thinking about things I like and want to think about instead of doing and thinking about things I ought and need to think about. It was very much about hyper-focus and again, seizing every moment, dying to self every day. Uh, But can you guys, because you're entrepreneurs, you're up all night, you could probably write a book a night, but Dr. Bob and Mario, you know, how do you guys stay focused? Because this is the struggle everybody has, that singularity. We're not linear do this, then do that. We're radial. I call it the spiritual gift of complication, all things to everybody. And we're just ragged. How do you guys stay on point? Well, I got to tell you, Peter Drucker used to say, the only people that get anything done are the megalomaniacs that have this incredible focus that you can only do one thing at a time. Yeah. And, and so he would say, you need to work on the thing that's most important to you and then do a second thing as a break from that but is what he would advocate. And I think there's a lot to that. We don't talk that much about approaches to getting work done, but I think that's really what it's all all about. I think a lot about what's the most important thing I need to be doing today, right now. I don't always focus on that, but I I always have awareness of what is most important. And on a good day, I do the things in, in the order of priority. And that's a good day when that can happen. And he does it extremely well. I mean, he's got all these plates spinning in the air. Bob's one of the few guys I know that feels very comfortable with his feet planted firmly in (laughs) midair. I love it. (laughs) Do you have any tools, Bob? How do you stay disciplined? Do you have a planner or do you plan the night before, like laying out your shoes? Do you lay out your task about what you want to focus on? How do you stay on point? I sometimes do just so that I don't have to waste time in the morning. I love it. So reflecting before I go to bed and, and maybe jot down a few things. I, I have a longtime friend that, for example, and he's committed to exercise. And he, when he goes to bed at night, he always thinks of when he will exercise the next day, what time of the day and what he will do. As a result, he has exercised every day 
that I've known him for like, you know, 40 years. So a simplicity, but it then becomes a, a habit and a powerful habit. I keep a mini spiral bound little notebook, one of those little three by five things lined. And I keep that on my nightstand. I have my phone there as well. And what I do is I send myself email messages and I just put in what I need to do in my subject line. And then I also write things on pad and it's the same pad that I use for the gratitude list when I used to do those manually. Now they come, I just do them naturally. I love it. I have a contentment journal at the end of the night where I list my mm-hmm. blessings and I have it up here. Cause so mm-hmm. otherwise it's all about the grind and not about the, all the miracles that happen. And I do that, um, Dr. Bob, that Ivy Lee method right down the night before the six things and then rack and stack them and yeah. just the rolling. Otherwise I will go. And like you said, Dr. Bob, there are days where I'm so on point. It's like, I got more done in four hours and people do in four years <laughs> and other days where I'm just a month of I haven't gotten anything done. So it's okay, leaders out there. You're going to ebb and flow. And it's important to start with the low-hanging fruit early in the morning. There's a book, I forgot, it was a few years ago. It was about make your bed. Uh-huh. Make your and bed. Was, That's what it was. As an admiral, I think it was a retired admiral. And he says, if you just start off with that, it's a no-brainer, but then things just can flow from that. They and do. you get into that habit. Well, like abandonment, when you really dial in, then you feel like you're really being a good steward to your resources and time. And then that tends to combat weariness. Cause I know when I'm most weary and run down is when I'm the most unfocused, mm-hmm. but the more like Dr. Bob sitting up at three in the morning, the more focused I get, Ooh, you know, the more energy and intensity I have. And with that abandonment, you know, the question that I always have is who is abandoning me or what is abandoning, making me being abandoned? It gets back to the mental aspect again of I'm not alone. It's the difference between being lonely and being alone and being comfortable with being by yourself Mm -hmm. because there's nothing bad with that. One of the guys on the podcast earlier said, the greatest leaders know what to say no to. And I was like, okay, (laughs) okay. That's pretty much abandonment in a nutshell right there. You know, staying focused, as Bob says, we all have to have that vision out there. One of my clients I was working with a couple of days ago, I'm helping her. She's doing a keynote for the University of Michigan. She's an alumnus of the business school there. And they brought her back because even though she's 30, she's fantastic. She's like you, Tracy. She's just working miracles out there. And she was singled out by NBC News when she was 14 years old. Why? Because she had started a nonprofit to help kids. It was a give back program in Ohio. And they took a film crew out to LA. They flew her out to LA for a week. They interviewed her and they just did this huge, a huge profile on her. And the the long and the short is she had a vision when she was 10 years old about helping people. And her thing right now today is I want to help people have the most beautiful world for themselves possible. And she's had that ever since she was a little kid. And she keeps that focus. And every day when she gets up, it's always moving the needle. What can I do just to move the needle here? Again, she's been doing it all her life, but she's so young. It's just tremendous. Well, that's a good term. It is a good, <laughs> I love you working with her. Well, you hit, you said the V word, Mario. So let's go on to that. That's the last okay. thing. Vision. Some people get the calling when they're 10. Others like us, it takes a lifetime but, and it's different visions throughout life. And my father would always say vision is just 
seeing what needs to be done and doing it. You don't have to be Nostradamus or Oprah Winfrey or Mark Zuckerberg. It's just seeing a need and then doing something about it. So Dr. Bob, I'll start with you. Can you talk about how you craft your vision, how you clarify or amplify your vision? Well, I think it's something that you need to constantly refine. Mm. For my life, I had the vision of leveraging the assets that I had. I'm very organized. Learned early on, I was a pretty good writer, and I've got a lot of passion. And the books I write about are things I'm passionate about. They tend to follow my values, which are practical and positive. So in everything I've done, that's a common theme. And so it's been a very specific vision. I guess it wasn't uh, curing world hunger or (laughs) anything large like that, but it was things that I felt I could make an impact on. How about you, Mario? What's your vision? Vision My my vision? Yeah, my vision. I came up with it early because number one, I, I mentioned my wife, who was a great leader. She was a forerunner for me, but also I learned from a lot from my sister, Elsie, who's eight years older than me. And she was kind of a pioneer in the HR area in the seventies, although she never wrote any best-selling books, but what, what I came I wrote up with about the her, I wrote about her. I wrote about her. He did. And it's not too late. <laughs> it's not too late. She's going to be 72. The guy we anyway. published this week is 78. So, you know, Ooh, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. grandma Moses didn't start painting till she was 75. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I was 18 when I came up with the vision and it was helping people help themselves to be the best they can. So it's pretty Mm. basic. It's pretty broad, but I thought I can do just about anything and it's still going to fit underneath the vision there. One thing I realized too, is when you have a vision, you create it and then you put it down. If it's on paper, you put it down for a second and then you start to think about, well, how am I going to get there? And then it dawns on me, dawns on people that, gee, here's where I am. Here's where I say I want to be. Now I experience this tension. It's a tension of, I'm not there yet. And it's that cognitive dissonance, but I'm here, but I want to be there. And it's that tension that first I was uncomfortable with. And I thought, no, I can't do it. It's too hard. And then I realized, I read a book by a guy named France. I forgot his first name, but it was The Path of Least Resistance. And what he said was, pick up a rubber band. And he says, and hold one end here and stretch it out to your vision. And what do you feel? We feel the tension. He says, most people do this. They feel that tension. And to relieve the tension, they let go of the finger where the vision is going. And so now they no longer feel the tension. But what do they have? They're stuck in the present where they are. He says, we got to learn. And this is what I've been trying to learn over the years is, how do I let go of my present and allow the tension to lessen toward my vision? That's the struggle that I've always had. And that's what I always share with people is feel the burn, whatever you want to say, and do it anyway. I just trust that it's going to happen for you. Well, that's so important for our listeners, too, because that is a universal truth. It's like a slingshot. That Mm -hmm. tension is lining you up and putting the extra force and vectoring you so you don't just like bop or miss the mark. You, You said rubber band, but I remember I was in my classes and somebody explained that to me. And I'm like, that just gave me such hope that Mm -hmm. this is all working together. It hasn't happened yet. So that's okay. And you've got to be okay with this equipping because these things take time. 
So mm-hmm. for leaders out there, and I love it, you guys are still out there at our age and stage, still <laughs> creating this great content. And well, my dad would always tell me, Tracy, we're all wet behind the ears until we're 55. Somebody sent me an article this morning that people's most productive years are 70 to 80. No, 60 wow. to 70. 70 to 80 was number two and 50 to 60 was number three. I'm only in number three. I got the best is yet to come. And so isn't that encouraging? My wife's cousin is 99 years old and she has an idea right now that her next big venture is to start a museum, the museum of the body and to teach kids that they got to be mindful of what we put into our body, both food wise and drink-wise and also thought-wise and what it can do to you. And so she wants to have all these different examples of bodies, what happens when you do things to them. Now, she's 99 years old. Back in 1940, she started probably the best recognized top fitness spa facility in the world. And it's still going on. It's called Rancho La Puerta. It's in Tecate, Mexico. But since that time, 1940 to now, she has done some tremendous things, no college degree. But every few years, she ran for Congress. She wrote a book for new Congress people their first 90 days, how to get set up in Congress. She ran foundations for the government. She worked with USAID and continues on, always Museum of New Americans that she started about 20 years ago. Just amazing because she had that idea in her head that if you're if I'm breathing, I'm creating and I'm producing and I'm helping people. There is no retirement in the Bible. I mean, like you said, <laughs> if you're breathing, there's still something left. If God hasn't called you home, or you haven't done something stupid to expedite that process, or you haven't let your body catch a lifestyle illness, you don't live to be 99 treating your body like a toilet. Okay. Well, Methuselah was 900 and something years old. There you go. Yeah. And he kept saying, when is this going to (laughs) end? And you got to believe back then they're like, why are we living so long? I want to go home kind of thing. (laughs) I love it. Well, I just, I really appreciate you guys talking about vision and how it is just, uh, it's a constant and you never know what's going to pop up if you just let it happen. The calling, if you're here, there's still callings to be done. And followed. Mm-hmm. And they have to matter. It's like Simon Sinek reminds us, it's the importance of why. Right. And it's like, why am I here? Is we got to have a reason, we got to have a meaning. And then we have that vision out there and we just keep pushing on. We keep that momentum going. Right. Well, but as Victor Frankl said, you assign the meeting. I <laughs> yeah. think every, we're yeah. still like, well, what's life going to tell me? And it's like, it already told you, you're living. Now go, just do anything and then it will unfold for you. Yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Dr. Bob, anything else we've covered? Loneliness, weariness, abandonment, vision. Anything else you want to share with our leaders about leadership? And then Mario will go down to you. We unpacked a lot, but I'm sure there's some other things you'd love to cover. Yeah, it's a gem of a book your dad did. And there's a lot of takes on leadership. And I guess some and all that's very inspirational. I think my take has been more towards the management of things and being more nuts and bolts and how to get the best out of people. And that's where Mario and I have worked together most recently to create our latest book, uh, Work Made Fun Gets Done. Simple ways to, easy ways to boost energy, morale and results. And so to set the environment where people can, a piece of what people can use to help be their best as work and 
play have merged and as our lives have merged, we have to bring the we have to bring all aspects to the workplace and who we are. So the days of you work for a paycheck and then you play on the weekend are long gone. Managers of best companies today are addressing that so that people can enjoy their work and who they work with and who they're working, who they're serving as a client and customer. I love it. I think I even read a Chambers quote on the, my utmost for science. Yesterday, what quote was something like, people don't remember the results that somebody did, but they remember the atmosphere that they created while doing it. That's exactly what you're talking about. Work made fun gets done. And Maya Angelou said something similar to that. People will forget what you said and what you did. Or what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah, as smart as we are, we're still emotive creatures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love, hey, well, where can people pick up the book? <clears throat> Wherever books are sold, Barnes and Noble and uh, Amazon. Amazon. Uh, okay. Or if you're going to buy it online, please go to bookshop.org because it supports small bookstores. And, and if you're also, looking for the best discount, then you go to Bob's website. DrBobNelson.com. Got an online bookstore and all my books are sold at uh, discounted prices. And then uh, if book. you like listening to the book on uh, Audible. Yes. I don't have that on my website. I, should, I probably should get that there. Yeah, but, yeah we'll, um, put, we'll put a link on there for that. Well, That's Tracy, awesome. you know all about all that stuff. You, you do all that promoting. <laughs> a thing or two, yes. If people wanted to reach out to you both, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? And if they're thinking they'd like to work with you, who really is your ideal market? I've worked with 80% of the Fortune 500, and I work with companies of all sizes and all industries. The ideal are people that, companies that want to create a work environment where people want to stay. So right now we're in the midst of the great resignation. 12 million people have left their jobs in the last three months, expected to continue. And so if you want to create an, a culture where people think twice about leaving and want to stay, I can show them how to do that. I and often I, I bring, Mario helps me with a lot of those clients as well. It's very doable to set up a, a culture that's still highly productive, but also giving people a sense of respect and belonging where they want to come to work and do their best work to how the culture is set up and how, and the behaviors, the behaviors that occur on the part of all the managers and, and upper management. It's a very powerful, you know, another Peter Drucker quote that, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I, if, you one of my a, <laughs> if you set up a culture where, uh, which is basically the, the expected behaviors and patterns that, so celebrating successes, Mara and I would be a strong advocate of catching people doing things right, focusing on learnings rather than mistakes, involving people, asking for their ideas and opinions, involving them in decisions that affect them. Those are all uh, the most powerful motivators that don't cost money. I like helping uh, organizations get a better handle on making that happen in, in the sphere of every, every one of their leaders. Love it. Okay. And what size? I know you said Fortune 500, but we have quite a few in South Central PA, quite a few small and mid-size. What would you say, Bob? Would you work with a company of like 25 people? I'd send them a book, you know? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. You know, and for a lot of organizations, that's where it starts is a book and then maybe a Good. training. Okay. And then, but they, gosh, uh, you, you can have a, a small company that can run with it from there. I had a, recently a hospital in Hartford not a big hospital, but uh, someone got one of my books. They were focused on 
first year nurse retention. And they did just three things differently that they pulled from my book. And that led to um, 20% savings and turnover, which for them, they worked it out to a million and a half dollars in savings from just implementing three ideas and that two of them didn't cost anything. One had a nominal cost. So it's, it's not what you're spending. It's, it's the buttons you're pressing to set up a different, better and, workplace. And those ideas, those are just three of over 400 ideas that we have in our current book. Which are all real life real. Uh, examples of what companies are doing to create the type of cultures that make a difference. And okay. again, they're mostly low to no cost. So that's, uh-huh. it's a no bra- greatest no-brainer in the history of mankind. I yeah. love it. And I love the fact that you talked about that. Just get that book. We're big into the transformation, but you said it. It's not what you're spending. It's the buttons you're pressing. I love that. I mean, that's yeah. really profound. And so if you're a company, just start with the book. Because if you're not willing to at least read a book collectively as a team, which is why we push reading together, Somebody coming in from the outside, you're just going to waste a lot of money because if you're not already engaged with learning together, forget bringing somebody else in who's just going to tell you stuff and then yeah, in one yeah. ear and out the other. When I work with companies, I advise them not to start with the budget, and to start with the behavioral practices and, yes. and behavior, which sometimes harder than we think because people haven't been doing them and to warm up that muscle. And, and then you can always spend some money later to make it bigger and better. But Perfect. for the but the starting point is more times than not, in my experience, is behavioral, what leaders are doing with their people. You know, the good news is people say, oh, gosh, another book. I'm so busy. I've got a stack of books on my nightstand. We don't want you reading the book. It's a reference book. Mm-hmm. We want you to peruse the first two chapters. And then you just thumb through it and you, you find areas that have meaning for you. And then yes. you look at different ideas. If you don't find a great idea on one page... Just turn the page. I love it. It's probably going to appear on the next page. Uh, thank you. Bob guys says for sharing this all that. the time. Yeah. <laughs> sharing that with the readers because, you know, like I said, we are busy, but leaders, you cannot be a leader if you're not really dialing in and trying to find this stuff out. So these guys have really distilled this down to these wonderful little gems that you can just, like you said, get out of this. Okay. We'll turn the page. Let's find something else. So thank you, Mario, for pointing that out. Thank you. Excellent. All right, gentlemen. Any last minute readdresses or thoughts? Management is what you do with people, not to them. So that was that thought crossed my mind as we were talking. I love it. Yeah. Work made fun together gets done. Yes. <laughs> I love it, you guys. Well, I see why you have found your calling and been so successful. And thank you in a world where people have hated their jobs since the dawn of time. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's just one of those things, but it doesn't have to be that way. And as leaders, we're always looking for ways to really dial in and look for new things. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and for all you do for so many organizations. You bet. And remember, nobody hates going out to play. Yeah. So if you make work like play, nobody hates it. Uh, My dad did that. He's like work and fun together. You don't separate the two because, you know, there's a duality to everything and everything in life has a even loneliness, there's a duality. There's a good lonely, a bad lonely. Mm-hmm. Work and mm-hmm. fun when you don't be so dichotomous. You know, let's mm-hmm. find a way to put them together because we're all living longer if we take care of ourselves and yeah, make it fun. Yeah. Or don't do it. <laughs> I like it. Resign and go start your own fun business. That's what I tell people if you're so we used to say that at Blanchard. If you're not having fun at work, find something that's fun or go home. <laughs> 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I tell evolve or evacuate. This is the choices yeah. here, but just grousing, grousing, psychocybernetics. Don't let your body catch a disease in your mind. That's never good. That grousing and stress and, oh, I can't believe stop, stop mm-hmm. and go do something, especially now because the opportunities are unlimited. Mm-hmm. They always were, but they really, really, really are now. <laughs> yeah. All right, gentlemen, well, Dr. Bob and Mario, thank you so much for being on our podcast. And to our listeners out there, thank you so much for being a part of the Tremendous Tribe. If you like what you heard, please leave us the honor of a five-star review wherever you hear this podcast. Be sure and connect with Dr. Bob and Mario. We've got all their connections out there. These are gentlemen that are going to be a tremendous resource for you. And thank you so much. Go over to TremendousLeadership.com. Be sure and sign up for our free two weeks of eBooks. And keep on paying the price of leadership. We are so thankful for you. Have a tremendous rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.